Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to Acts chapter 6. Actually, Acts chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 51 through 60 of Acts chapter 7. you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's, God's perfect word. <laughs> Stephen, empowered by the Spirit of God, says these words that we have before us today, inspired by the Spirit for us in these moments. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Oh God, I pray that we would see very clearly your witness. That we would see very clearly what it looks like to witness the authority and the power of Christ. That we would see what it looks like to make your name known. That we would see what it looks like with, with great boldness to declare the name of Christ, with great authority to preach the name of Christ. God, I pray that you would convict us today by your spirit, according to your word, that we would be a new people who love Jesus, who love Jesus more than anything else. God, we thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us today. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. I found myself wanting to sing along with the hymn that the people around me were singing, but I couldn't decide if it was blasphemy or not. And it's not because of the lyrics of the hymn it's not because of the original intent of the writer who wrote it. I stood with a group of men who had just heard 
um, teaching about how we should be better husbands, how we should uh, be better fathers. Uh, I was with a group of men who had heard from prominent leaders in their church about how they were to take their church to the ends of the earth. And, And as I looked around and I saw the accountability and I saw the discipleship before me, I was struck by what was going on because I was actually longing for such things to go on in the life of my own church. They were committed to the message before them. They were committed to the mission that was before them. We were at an annual conference, and before I could join in with their singing that these men attended every year, I had to just stop and remind myself, but they're Mormons. No, they're Mormons. That, I was reminding myself as we sang a hymn that I had sang all of my life growing up, they don't believe in the same Jesus I believe in. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God the way the Bible teaches. They would actually say he was a brother of Satan at one point, or still is, the good brother. They believe in books delivered to a man who was a serial adulterer that they hold to, that they cling to, that actually teach them that if they're good enough, they can have their own planet and procreate for eternity. That's what they believe. And I was reminding myself of all of these things that they believe as they were doing very similar things that I do at church and going, man, I love this hymn. But if I sing, will they think I'm converting? And I kept having to remind myself of the heresy, of the blasphemy that was all around. I was actually writing a paper on Mormonism, and I needed firsthand information. And I had a friend at that time who is a Mormon, who is literally the nicest guy that I have ever met. And he invited me to go to this annual conference with him. And he invited me to learn everything I possibly could about his faith. And he tried to convert me over and over and over again. And I would have to say, hey man, we believe in two different things. I want to be very clear about what the differences are. But those moments in his church scared me. And they didn't scare me because I'm threatened by the Latter-day Saints. No, I realized it's possible, it's it's very possible to orchestrate a religion that looks just like mine, but misses Jesus, misses the Jesus of the Bible. And, and, And I was fearful for the Southern Baptist, like me, who could have been dropped into that church in those moments and never known the difference. And many who could have attended for year after year after year after year and never thought anything of it because that's what they do in their own church. They just attend and do the same thing week after week after week after week. And it is a poster religion that misses Jesus. I was more fearful of the religious, for the religious folks that I know than the apostate that I was seeing all around me. And and, and we see the same kind of religion in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen, 
Stephen, this deacon, last week we talked about deacons, and this week we get to see that deacons can preach, deacons can proclaim the word, deacons can be full of the spirit, and you have this deacon, Stephen, who stands up and he begins to witness the gospel with great boldness. And there are Greeks that hear him preach the gospel. There are Jews who have taken on the Greek culture who begin to hear him preach the gospel. And Stephen's witness is a transition from Jerusalem to the nations, from the Jew to the Greek to the Gentile. There is a transition happening as this deacon proclaims the word of God. And he stands up and and he begins to to preach that Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And because he is so powerful in his preaching, no one can object to it. No one can disagree with it. And so they bring up these false charges. This man, Stephen, hates the temple. This man, Stephen, hates Moses. This man, Stephen, he hates the law. This man, Stephen, he is preaching against the temple. He is preaching against the law. And Stephen turns around and says, no, 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 I'm not preaching against those things. I'm preaching against you. I'm preaching against you. And he, Stephen, with great boldness, declares the witness of Christ here. And and in chapter 6, we move from chapter 6, this false accusation is brought against him. And at the first part of chapter 7, he simply recounts Israel's history to them. You, You have these Jews present, these Hellenist Jews who are present who have been exiled away from the temple, and now they're back in Jerusalem worshiping at the temple. They have a fierce loyalty to the temple to the point they don't think God can be present in other places. And Stephen is saying, no, God is now present to the nations, to all people. And he said, let me remind you about your hero Abraham. God came to him as a moon worshiper in Ur. He was a foreigner at one time. And God brought him in. God is not restricted to one people in one location. And here in Jerusalem, God is appearing to foreigners in Jesus, but you rejected and killed him. And now let's talk about Joseph. You remember Joseph? He was a foreigner too. His brothers shipped him off as a slave to Egypt, where he lived and where he ruled. And when his brothers came in a famine, you know what he did? He didn't judge them. He offered forgiveness to them. But you know who you're like? You're like the villains in the story of Joseph. You're like the brothers in the story of Joseph. Because your brother has come to offer you forgiveness and you killed him. Just like Joseph's brothers persecuted him and sent him to Egypt. And then let's talk about Moses. You think I'm against Moses? Moses, let me remind you that Moses was a foreigner. He was raised as a pagan Egyptian And God brought him out of Egypt. God brought him out of Egypt and sent him to deliver his people in Egypt. And you know what the people of God did when Moses first came to them as their brother, as their rescuer? They rejected him. They told him he was crazy. And we can talk about the story of Moses all day long. You say, I'm I'm rejecting Moses. No, you're rejecting Moses, just like the people of God have always rejected Moses. Let's think about the wilderness wanderings. Let's think about the whining and complaining. Let's think about the people of God saying to Moses, we want someone else. We would rather be led by Pharaoh. You're doing the same thing. 
Let's talk about all your heroes in the story who you align yourself with. They were persecuted by people just like you. And he stands before a council. And he stands before very religious people. And he confronts them with the truth of the gospel that Jesus is God's king and they reject it. They reject it. And it leads to the first Christian martyr, Stephen, the deacon. But why do they reject it? First of all, we see in verse 51 a call to reject golden cow Christianity. Notice verse 1. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did. Here's why you rejected Jesus. You are stiff-necked people, meaning you, you will not bow down and submit to the authority of God's word. No, you bow up to the yoke of truth. You don't want it on you. The truth about Jesus, you bow up. You are stiff-necked people with an uncircumcised heart and ears. Now that is extremely graphic language. Circumcision was given to Abraham and it was a sign to say that the seed would come from Abraham's people. And it was a sign of the covenant given to him. And it always pointed to people with new hearts, hearts that were circumcised that could receive the implanted seed of the gospel. And he says, you know who you are? You're people with uncircumcised heart and ears, meaning you have callous skin that has grown over your ears so you can't hear, calloused skin that has grown over your heart so you can't hear the gospel. And you need the sword of the word of God like a knife to cut it off so that you can believe the gospel, but you will not receive it, he says, because you always receive and res or resist the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's one goal in the universe is to point to Christ. His witness is to say Jesus is king, but you are rejecting that witness as you have killed Jesus. And now you're rejecting our witness. The Spirit empowers us to point to Jesus as king. And so if you resist our witness, you're not just rejecting us or Jesus, you're rejecting the very Spirit of God who is speaking to you. The Spirit points to Jesus of Nazareth as God's king. And he says, your fathers have always did this. This is, look at this, this is all-inclusive language. You come from a long line of losers, is what he says to him. Look at your family tree, always rejecting God's word. You, you come from a long line of heretics. Your heritage is heresy. And he says, I can prove it to you, verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? When these prophets stepped on the scene with this turn or burn theology, they killed them. They didn't just say, oh yeah, you're right, God's going to wipe us out if we don't repent. They killed them. Some of them were sawn in half and destroyed by their own people. He says, which one have you not persecuted? The word here means to harass. It means to shake. It, it, it's the same picture that Jesus says when he, he says, I'm going to send you out as sheep among the wolves and the wolves are going to be harassed and shaken and fearful. But you have killed, the verse continues, those who announced beforehand the righteous one, God's king, the one who is right and will make all things right. You, you killed him. 
And he describes it here at the end by saying, you betrayed and murdered them. And now you're betraying and murdering the, the prophet standing before you. This is the nature of your sin. You are an evil brother. You are Judas who has stabbed the Messiah in the back. That's who you are. That's what your heart looks like. You have all of these great and glorious things going on with your religion, but you are wicked, your heart is hard, and you are those who would stab your own Messiah and his prophets in the back. Verse 53, you who received the laws delivered by the angels. He refers here to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were delivered. The Ten Commandments summarized the law, but there was a moment where the Ten Commandments come down and the mountain shook and there was lightning, and there was thunder. And it was this occasion where, where heaven comes down in the law and speaks to God's people as if delivered by angels. He says, you, got, you had the law, but you didn't keep it. And he points here, there's a difference between hearing and doing. There's a difference between having your Bible, reading your Bible, and doing what your Bible says believing what your Bible teaches. And he says, Moses and the law and the temple was meant to lead you to Jesus. The only way you could keep the law is by believing in the one who kept the law. But you're just like the people of old who rejected the law. And they would say, what are you talking about, you fool? We've traveled here to Jerusalem. We've moved our families here to Jerusalem because we believe the law. Because we believe in the temple. That's why we're here. We've ordered our lives around God's law. And you're telling us we don't keep it? You're a fool. And he says, yeah, I'm telling you you don't keep it. You're, here, here's what you're like. This is what Stephen would say. You're like the people of God as Moses who is on the mountain receiving the law from God. God is speaking directly to him. He, he is in the presence of God getting the law of God and then Moses comes down the mountain as the people have said, Moses, you go up for us. Those same people, when he comes down the mountain, are doing what? They're worshiping a golden cow. And he says, that's who you are. You have asked for a word from God. You, 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 you have asked for a word from God and the word of God has stood, for you, stood before you in flesh and blood, but you're worshiping a golden cow. And it's the golden cow of your temple. It's the golden cow of your law that was meant to lead you to Jesus. It is the golden cow of your self-righteousness. And so you can't see Jesus. You can't see Jesus just like the people of God couldn't hear the law. And how easy is it for us to, to, to hear that and to, to sort of shrug off, well, that's, that's another group of people. And it's the same thing they would do here. Do you know how easy it is to make your Christianity a golden cow that keeps you from Jesus? you know how easy that is? I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. I went to Awana. I went to the youth group. I was involved in campus ministry. I did all of these things, and you can do all of those things without Jesus. And those things can just be a new law. And you check off the box. I did this. I did this. I did this. And it not be about Jesus. And so when the truth of Jesus comes, 
You don't even hear it. Your ears are callous to it because you are covered in your self-righteousness of everything that you do, even things you say you do for Jesus. But they're not about Jesus. And all of your self-righteousness has become a golden cow that you are worshiping and you are missing the Word of God in Jesus that is standing right before you. Do you know how scary that is? Do you know how dangerous that is? I always say this, it is more dangerous, get this, more dangerous to be a Southern Baptist self-righteous brat who doesn't know that they're apart from Jesus than a pagan blasphemer, a cult leader who knows they hate Jesus. It's much more dangerous to be over here with your Awana badges and you can't hear the gospel because you think you are the gospel. You are the golden cow that you worship. It's so dangerous. That, and that's exactly what has gone on with these people. They are covered in callousness of self-righteousness so they can't see and know and believe in Jesus. We reject that version of Christianity by embracing the witness of Jesus that cuts through our self-righteousness. That's why we need preaching and accountability that says, you're bad. You're not as good as you think you are. We don't need preaching that coddles our goodness because that leads us away from Jesus and it's dangerous. You don't need preaching that says, the world is horrible. They're going to hell in a handbasket and we're awesome. We make stands against the world. You know what that kind of preaching does? It covers you in self-righteousness so that you don't know that without Jesus, you're headed to hell in a handbasket. You need someone who's going to stand and preach authoritative and you need people to step in your life and go, no, 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 no. You got that all wrong. No, 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 no. We got to change that. You, you think you're doing right? No, no. This is what the Bible says. This is what the gospel would call you to do. You, you, you need those people in your life who would do that. Every Sunday I leave and I'll get a text or a comment that goes, was that illustration about me? Did you see that post on Facebook? Was that about me? And I was talking to John Martin this week, and what I'm going to start saying to that is yes. It was about you. Because it was. Because there are a lot of people doing the same thing that you're doing. And I'm not just, you know, I want to say, sometimes I want to say, uh, you're so vain you thought the sermon was about you. But first and foremost, I can tell you, it was about me. Monday through Saturday, it's about me. And God is tearing away my self-righteousness and my sin. And that's what I need. I need it. And the way we tear that out from our life, the way we rip it out from our life, is we come before the Word of God and we say, tell me how wrong I am and tell me how right Jesus is. I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to be further from me and closer to Jesus. I want the joy of being closer to Jesus. I want to reject the frustration that comes with religion. Some of you are here today and you're burned out from Christianity because it's never been about Jesus. It's been about everything that you do for Jesus. And your heart is hard and you're frustrated. 
But, but there is joy in saying, no, I'm not that good. Jesus is great. Let me get closer to Jesus. Let me get away from all I do and closer to what Jesus has done. There's got to be a longing in our lives before the Word of God. Uncover my sin so I can take it to Jesus. Tell me it's not about me so I can make it about Jesus. Remind me that I can't rule the universe and Jesus is. Confront me of the misery that I'm making of making much of me and lead me to the joy of making much of Jesus. That's what you need. Are you going to be like those who are about to stone Stephen? Notice next in our text, we see the witness of unbelief versus the witness of the kingdom. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were like, you know what, Stephen, you're right. What church you go to? Because I'm coming with you on Sunday. No. They were enraged. And this is uncontrollable fury and anger. And they ground their teeth. You grind your teeth without knowing it because it's uncontrollable because you can't control the stress and the fury. That's what's going on here. They are out of control, angry at Stephen. But he, notice, is full of the Holy Spirit, which leads to boldness. And he is gazing into heaven to see the glory and authority of God. This all points to the authority and power and kingship of Jesus, who here is standing at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning even in that moment. And this is what gives Stephen boldness to stand before these men who are about to kill him and say, no, Jesus is king. Believe in Jesus. Verse 56, behold, I see, he says, I see heaven, the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And here the Spirit has given us a very vivid picture of what the witness of the gospel does in our life. This is what the Spirit does. He allows us to see Jesus ruling and reigning so we can be bold. That's the witness of the Spirit in your life. Leads to bold gospel witness, declaring and living out the gospel because you see Jesus is ruling and reigning. And here he even sees Jesus ruling and reigning over his circumstance, over this situation. Many believe that Jesus is standing here to honor the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And he's given us a picture. I'm standing with you as you die. I'm standing with you as you die for the gospel, for my witness. And it's a picture of what Jesus said he would do. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And as Stephen is confessing Jesus before men, uh, Jesus is standing before the Father confessing Stephen before the Father. What a glorious picture of the gospel of the power of the Spirit in our life to be bold and courageous. Notice verse 57. But they cried out. This only made them more angry. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed at Him. They are, they're screaming because they don't want to hear it. They are yelling because they don't want to hear what he's saying. He's speaking Jesus as king. He sees Jesus as king. They put their fingers in their ears so they don't have to hear this blasphemy. They, they believed in that moment if they would hear what he is saying, they and their ears and their life would be made impure just by hearing what they're saying. And they are enraged. And notice they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, this is vivid imagery of the crucifixion. Jesus being taken out of the city and crucified. Get this scoundrel out of our city. But notice who is there. And the witnesses lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. The Michael Jordan of Judaism. 
If you had a picture of persecutors, a logo, it would be the Apostle Paul, a religious, religious terrorist, the Osama bin Laden, the Hitler of the story. And he is standing there watching this happen with a smile on his face. Get that. That's the Apostle Paul. As Stephen is being drugged outside of the city, these men are taking their robes off and throwing it at Saul's feet. You know what they're doing? They're getting their arms loose. They are ready to bash his head in and they are smiling and laughing about it and they are enjoying it and they throw their coats at Saul's feet and says, this is for you, buddy. I'm about to crush his skull for you. That's what they're doing. And what the Spirit does for us here is gives us a witness of unbelief. This is what your heart looks like in unbelief. Fury, anger. I mean, this would be like taking the American flag and using the facilities on it up here today. I wouldn't get out of here alive if I did that. Nobody would. It would be like standing up here, throwing that flag on the ground and walking all over it and saying, Satan is Jesus' father. You would be enraged. You would be angry. Some of you would want to grab me if I was doing that. You would want to fight. Fury would, would, would overwhelm you. And that's exactly what's going on here. And it is a sign of unbelief. Those things are lies. Those things are untrue. Those things are wrong to do. But so often the truth of God's Word does the same thing to us. The rightness of God's Word attacks us in certain ways sometimes where we're like, Man, the Spirit is coming after me. He's coming at me. We read the Word of God and we say, He is attacking everything that I believe and everything I thought about the world. Does it feel like that sometimes to you? When you hear the Word of God, it should. If the Spirit is present at times, the preached Word, the studied Word, the delivered Word is going to frustrate you. It's going to make you angry at yourself at times. And you may not scream and plug your ears and say, Stop preaching! That sounded weird when my ears closed. <laughs> you may not do that. But man, gossip, that's just my personality. I just tell it like it is. That's what I do. Gossip. Who's, what's he talking about? Or love your enemies. You hear a word about loving your enemies? What do you do? Oh, you don't know my enemies. You never met my enemies. Be merciful. You've received mercy. Oh, you just don't know my situation. Love those who have hurt me the most? Nah, that can't be what that means. And you may not kill the messenger. Hopefully you don't do that. But I will tell you something that we all have a tendency to do, including myself, is cast dispersion and doubt about the messenger. He ain't talking to me. He's talking about Edna. She ain't here today. I don't struggle with gossip. Edna does. <laughs> or he's a hypocrite. He's a sinner. Nobody can do that. We cast dispersion on 
the messenger, the, the, the worst moment of my life, I think, if you know Todd Martin, the most godliest man I know ever, like he's so godly. And I was on a mission trip with him and all our plans were just not going through and I'm a plan person. You do this at this time, you do this at this time. Why aren't you here? Why aren't we doing this? And Todd just the whole day is, God is sovereign. Oh, it's all working out, isn't it? So beautifully. <laughs> and I found myself screaming at Todd Martin. <laughs> Would you shut up about the sovereignty of God? I'm tired of hearing it. I just want to be mad. And that's the way we attack the messenger. Would you just shut up? Just, that's all you ever, this is what I get a lot. That's all you ever preach about. It's not. That's all you're ever convicted about. <laughs> Won't you change that and you'd stop hearing it that way? But notice what they do here. It's a gnashing of their teeth. Where else do we see gnashing of teeth? Hell. Hell. That's where you see gnashing of teeth. And what the picture of unbelief here is leading to hell. We are saved by the sovereign work of the Spirit. And when you are a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot. But here is a scary thing that you need to be aware of and you need to think about. If you are constantly rejecting the witness of the Spirit, maybe you never had the Spirit. If you are constantly saying things like this, well, I know it's sin, but I want you to replace it with this. I know it's hell, but. Because that's where you're headed. If you constantly push the Spirit away. If you're continually doing that. It's not a soft heart who says, let me be more like Jesus. Let me be more like Jesus. The Spirit redeems us and saves us and shapes us into the image of the Spirit, but He does it with His Word. And it's not something you can gnash your teeth at and push away. No, you receive it. Verse 59, And as they were saying this, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my Spirit. Where have we heard that before? Father, into Your hands I give my Spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Where have we heard that? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Here with confidence, he sees Jesus standing with him. And he says, receive my spirit as, as, as stones are, are crushing his skull. Blood running down his eyes. He sees Jesus, his master and his Lord. And he's like Jesus. He's like Jesus. He forgives his enemies like Jesus. This is a clear picture of what the word witness means. We talked about this in Acts 1.8. The word witness is actually the word martyr. But so many witnesses throughout history have died for their faith. When we say martyr, we just think of people who have died. Because it goes hand in hand with the Christian witness. Christians die for what they believe and what they preach. And at times they die in the hands of those they are preaching against. But what do they do? Because of the power of Jesus, they're willing to lay down their life as Jesus laid down His life. What did Jesus say to the, to the authorities as He stood before them? The only power you have over me is what I'm giving to you. Stephen says the same thing. The only power you have to stone me is the one the one ruling in heaven has. And guess what that looks like? I have the power to forgive you. And as he screams out, forgive them, they are screaming in rage at him. And it's a clashing of the kingdoms. We hate you. I love you. I forgive you. 
What a powerful witness of the gospel to love your enemies this way. How do you get there? This week I heard this. If you want to be more like Jesus, focus less on being like Jesus and more on being with Jesus. And you will naturally be like Jesus. I would phrase it this way today. If you want to be more like Jesus, focus less on being like him and more on seeing him in the gospel. Cast your gaze on the gospel. The vision Stephen has here as he's being stoned is the same, well, is the same vision is the same vision you have in the gospel as a Christian. The gospel that says on the cross your sins have been forgiven. In the resurrection you will be raised from your coffin. You will rule and you will reign with Jesus forever. That is the good news of the gospel to you. And the Spirit prompts that and promotes that and champions that and cultivates it in your life as you are in the Word of God. So if you want to be more like Jesus, see Jesus in the gospel. See Jesus in the Word. Pour the gospel over your life. Pour the gospel over your eyes so that it is all that you see. And you'll be like Jesus with boldness, willing to declare the gospel, willing to live as Christ and to die as gain. You will walk into those confrontations about the gospel and you will say, what's the worst that could happen to me? Do that. You're nervous about sharing the gospel with someone? Ask yourself the question, what is the worst that could happen? I'll tell you the worst. Jesus told you the worst. They may kill you. That's what they'll do. That could happen. Probably not going to happen in the encounters you're thinking about. But he would say, they can't touch your soul. They may destroy your body, but only God controls your soul. And for those who have believed in him, trusted in him, their soul will rest in heaven, in the kingdom with him forever. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? See Jesus in the gospel. And here's what I'm going to guarantee for you. If you're focused on the forgiveness that you have in Jesus in the gospel, you will be able to forgive your enemies. Some of you here today, I just can't forgive that person. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that about you? Your sin was a violation against everything in his holy character, and he forgave you. He actually died for your sins. God unleashed the fury of heaven on him for your sins so that you could have forgiveness. Meditate, see Jesus in that way as as your loving, glorious king who saved you, who once hated him. As you seek to love those who hate you, remind yourself you were once an enemy of God and he pursued you in that way. That is the boldness that Stephen has here because he is seeing Jesus, this vision of Jesus here. The gospel over and over says Jesus is standing with you before the Father so you can stand with him before your enemies. You can stand with him and witness. Now, we read this story. Here's what we do. You know... I would be one who would be stoned for Jesus. I would be like Stephen if I had to. And by the way, that's the same kind of Bible study methods that those stoning Stephen had. They always saw themselves as the good guys in the Bible. We don't do that, do we? I mean, you don't have Bible fellowship tonight and go, you know, Brian... I was reading in the Gospels the other day, and I was reading what Judas did, and I thought of you. You're just like Judas. 
We, we don't do that, do we? Or you know Jezebel? You remind me of Jezebel. That's not the kind of Bible study methods that we have. You know Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm going to speak a word of prophecy into your life. I think you're headed for a Sodom and Gomorrah. We, we don't do that. Why? Because we think we're the good guys. And the good guys in the story miss Jesus. They kill Jesus. But notice there's hope for villains. As we move into the next chapter, we've already seen Saul is mentioned. And the first three verses in the next chapter speak of this one named Saul who is ravaging the church. The villain. The villain who was just honored is the villain who wrote most of the New Testament. It is the one who witnessed Jesus. How, why? On Damascus Road, he is given a vision of Jesus that changed his life. It, he moves from, from, from one who is killing Christians to one who is willing to die with the Christians. And so there's hope for villains. And, and I wonder today if you would be willing to see yourself as the villain of the story. Because that says everything you need to know about your heart. Because at the end of the day, you are the villain. I'm the villain. It's my sin that killed Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you ever been shook by that? That on the cross, as Jesus is screaming, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's my sin. It is the fury of hell. My sin sent Jesus to eternal damnation in those moments on the cross. That's what my sin did. My sin is nailing him to the cross. My sin is hanging him there as a mutilated corpse drug from pieces of wood as the Father has unleashed his wrath on him and not me. It's my sin. And if you can't see yourself as the villain in that story, you can't be saved. You can't. If you come to that moment and you say, I would never do that. Well, you did do that. You sinned against God. And out of love and forgiveness, God sought you with the cross, the cross of His Son. And He has raised Him up and He promises you eternal life. And He gives you His Spirit and says, I love you and I forgive you anyway. But you got to see yourself as the villain or you'll be the one throwing stones. Even villains can stand with Him knowing he'll stand with you. 